You know, I, I think that uh, the reality is I know who I am. You know, I know I know that I'm a great football player. You know, I know I've been great. I know I will be great. I know I'll continue to be great. I know I, I know that uh, there, better, there are better days ahead. And so, um... Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Extra Yard with Augustina Brestar. I am Augustina, and I am tired of talking about how concerned I am about the Seahawks. However, that is where we stand, and I am excited to analyze all things Seahawks with this week's guest, Andy Patton. Andy has been covering sports for a little over three years. Most of his work was on the beat for the Seattle Seahawks at the Seahawks Wire through USA Today's media group. Some of his work was featured on MSN, CBS, and Bleacher Report, so I think it's safe to say he knows what he's talking about when it comes to not only football, but especially the Seahawks. Andy, I'm so happy to have you back, um, but I'm sorry that we're going to have to spend a decent amount of time talking about the Seahawks' loss to the Rams. How are you doing tonight, overall? How are you? I'm good. I mean, it's, you know, it's everybody's kind of just doing fine right now in general. But, uh, yeah, I, I started a radio show a couple weeks ago talking about Pacific Northwest sports, and the first topic I wrote down before my first episode was like, are the Seahawks Super Bowl contenders now that they acquired Carlos Dunlap? And then they lost the Bills badly. And then they got trounced by the Rams. And I was like, well, I guess we're not – like that topic is out completely. <laughs> so I feel like I might be bad luck because I started talking about them again. And look what happened. I was going to say, maybe you're a jinx. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I'm just built to talk negatively. So I guess that this was just like set up for me. Oh, you and I are the same then. All of my friends <laughs> – consistently tell me that there's no way I'm a Seahawks fan because all I have to say are like negative things about them. That's exactly what Seahawks fans are though. Right. No, I think <laughs> at this point I'm just being a realist. Yep. <laughs> um, but I guess let's just get started. We can dive right into this. So the intro soundbite um, was Russell Wilson talking about how Everything is going to be okay. I think we get these sound bites from Russell a lot, which mm-hmm. um, if you're a fan, you kind of justify them. <laughs> but if yeah. you're an outsider, you just think he's kind of cringy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's talk about the Seahawks. You know, we sure. saw them, this loss to the Rams, second loss in a row. Of course, they lost to Buffalo last week. Both pretty ugly losses. <laughs> Is there a cause for concern, or should we trust Russ? Or is everything going to be okay? Um, I'm going to say both in a sense. Uh, I think that there is absolutely cause for concern. It, it would be alarming to not be concerned about the fact that both their offense and their defense have looked bad in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I say both because I'm not overly concerned about Russ specifically. I think he's going to be fine. Uh, I think that, in fact, a lot of people have kind of lumped the last couple games together and said Russ has been bad for the last few weeks. He really hasn't. He wasn't that bad against Buffalo. He had some bad luck. I know that the stat line says four turnovers, which looks egregious, but the fumbles, neither were really his fault. It was really poor protection. One of the interceptions was kind of fluky. Now, don't get me wrong. His game against the Rams was atrocious. There's no defending that. That wasn't, he didn't get bad luck he just had a really really awful game it happens it was shocking to see it happen in such a like kind of all at once and it was shocking to see it happen in a game where Seattle's defense actually looked okay they held the Rams to 23 points they gave up a lot of yards but it's kind of that bend but don't break mentality that Pete Carroll has preached forever and they they did it they executed it pretty well against the Rams offense that's pretty good and yet they had nothing to show for on the offensive side of the ball so it was kind of one of those things where you have a Buffalo game where your defense doesn't stop anybody and Russ kind of runs into some bad luck with turnovers. And then you have a, a Rams game where your defense actually steps up and plays okay and Russ just doesn't have it at all. So it's, it's I don't want to say it's fluky because I don't think that it's fluky. I think that this team has some very legitimate flaws. But I think if they had managed to, if either side had managed to come around in either of those games, we could be talking about this team very differently right now. Definitely. I, although I still probably would have some things to say about that defense. (laughs) Um, It's, yeah, so Russell Wilson's play, of course, in Buffalo, I almost excused it just because his efficiency wasn't bad. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think this game against the Rams, there wasn't any excuse. But yeah. I also want to say that I kind of felt it coming. You know, yeah. he was just playing out of his mind for what yeah. the first six weeks. And then, you know, you just, I didn't think he was going to be able to sustain that. Granted, mm-hmm. I didn't think that there was going to be this much of a drop-off. Right. Um, and now, of course, they don't have that much turnover. You know, they, mm-hmm. you know, we record this Wednesday night. Yeah. They play tomorrow. Uh, what are we going to see from Russ tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. It's This is a really bad week to have a quick turnaround. Like, it's, on one hand, I think the guys are probably, like, happy to get to put turn the page really quickly. But they got beat up pretty good. I mean, not just in the scorebook, but like beat up physically, like football's hard and it's a straight on your body and they have so many injuries already. I think the biggest questions going into this Arizona game is just who's going to be healthy. You know, I think I don't want to make excuses for Russ from Sunday's performance because it was like we've already discussed quite bad, but he didn't have a starting center. Ethan, Ethan Pochick didn't play and Kyle Fuller hadn't started in three years. He didn't have pretty much any of his running backs. Uh, you know, Chris Carson was still out. Carlos Hyde's still out. Rashad Penny hasn't played in like a year and a half. Um, and Alex Collins looked fine, but he's not. He's just not all that good. Uh, he, there's a reason he hasn't been in the league for a while. Uh, DJ Dallas and Travis Homer aren't the types of running backs that the Seahawks typically employ like on every down. So you were looking at a team that, you know, th- their identity was not really there. They like Russ is the is the offense right now. He always has been, but they do still have that identity in the run game. And without it, and with a, a center who's really not an NFL caliber starting center, if we're being perfectly honest, lining up against Aaron Donald, like there there were some reasons that Russ had some challenges. And again, it doesn't excuse his performance, but it is something to watch for on Thursday if all those players are still not playing. If there's no Pochick, if there's no Carson, if there's no Hyde, the Cardinals are a well-coached team, and they're going to look closely at this tape and say, well, what did, what did Los Angeles do? And the big kicker is that Los Angeles, or excuse me, Arizona doesn't have Jalen Ramsey. You know, And that was such a huge part of this game was that he just locked down DK Metcalf. And Russ probably should have gone to DK more, and part of that was because he was getting flushed out of the pocket so quick, so it was hard to find him. But... I mean, when we talk about the matchup that we're going to see on Thursday, it's DK Metcalf and Buda Baker. There's one thing that people remember about that matchup, and it's that DK Metcalf is a lot faster than Buda Baker. He caught him on that interception. And Buda Baker's very good, very talented player, but he's not Jalen Ramsey. And, and in that game, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Metcalf had 12 catches for like 150 yards and a pair of touchdowns against the Cardinals. And I, I assume that Arizona's going to figure out a way to game plan to not let that happen again, but... They don't have a talented enough secondary that if they flood a bunch of energy to try to stop DK, I could see Lockett having a huge game. I could see Will Disley having a big game. I could see David Moore having a big game. We've seen that from him a few times this year. So it's going to be tough because, you know, they still might be down their running backs. And Arizona now has, you know, 60 minutes of tape to watch to figure out how to beat this team. Uh, really 120 minutes of tape if you count the Buffalo game, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I expect it to be close. Uh, I wouldn't be betting on the Seahawks if I was somebody who bet on football games. Uh, I do have a hard time seeing this team drop three in a row. Like that just feels like something that's not going to happen. But I, this Arizona team is rolling. They got a lot of momentum after that ridiculous game-winning play last week. Uh, they beat the Bills, obviously, who is a team that Seattle struggled against. So it's going to be a tight one. And I think they really need some guys to be healthy in order to win this one. Definitely. Um I guess commenting on your last statement, you know, they're going to need some guys to be healthy. It leaves me feeling pretty hopeless um, as a Seahawks fan, of course, just considering, I mean, I don't think Carson's going to play Lockett's day to day now. Yeah. You know, you brought up, he could have a big game. Mm -hmm. He can't have a big game if he doesn't play. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know. I think had this game been on Sunday, I might, have a little bit more hope Um, with it being tomorrow. I'm nervous. Although I do have high expectations for Russ. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't expect him, but I guess I said this last week, Um, (laughs) you know, after the Buffalo game, I didn't expect him to have that many turnovers again. And here we are talking about how many (laughs) turnovers he had. And so there's that. I, at this point, 
I said it last week. This team is so unpredictable. I, I, some games it's like they're there and some games, I don't know what team I'm watching on the field, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Um, there was something I wanted to bring up. Yeah. So we talked about the offense a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let's, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> there was a take that I had, it was on Monday. I think yeah. I had seen it and it's basically like Russell's turnovers are being caused because of the amount of pressure, like not like actual pressure he's facing from the defense, but just like right. he feels like he has to carry the team on his shoulders. <laughs> just, you know, we see him making these crazy plays and the first interception of this game on yeah. Sunday against the Rams. Absolutely. There was no reason for it. You know, I think Russ even said it in his, Press yep. game post con or post game press conference of like, <laughs> yeah, I probably should have just ran. <laughs> um, do you think that's actually affecting him? The fact that you know there's no, the run game isn't really there, and the offense is what it has been <laughs> yeah. the past couple weeks. Do you think that pressure is actually getting to his head? Um, do I think it's? Im- Impacting him mentally? No. And the reason is because, and I know a lot of people say this kind of derisively about Russ, but I'm saying it quite literally. He's a, kind of a robot. Like, he, he trains himself. Like, he has, like, mental health coaches and people that he works with, like, for hours and hours and hours a week to basically, like, make it so that he doesn't let emotions and things get to him. And I, I'm obviously, he's a human. He's not actually a robot. And so those things do creep in from time to time. And I think that it's possible on that play he might have been pressing a little bit, trying to make a big play. But I also think he just made a bad read. Like I think that there's, uh, I think the the pressure aspect of it is less about him mentally, but more about opposing defenses getting to just flood all of their attention to him, which just makes his job literally harder. Uh, I do think there is some level, like he knows he's the guy. And he knows that he wasn't always the guy. Like, there's a part of Russell Wilson that's aware that he won a Super Bowl because of his defense and that they lost the Super Bowl, not because of him, but on a play that he made. Like, those are things that he's aware of, you know? Mm-hmm. It, would be, it would be impossible for him not to be. And I think there's a part of him that really wants to cement his legacy as being, like, the best player on a team that wins the Super Bowl. Who wouldn't want that? Every human being would want that. Um, so I think it's there a little bit, and I think that, in this game, it was more about like we don't have a running game, we don't have uh, you know that we don't have the line that we need to have, uh, and we just I don't have my top receiver effectively because of Jalen Ramsey, so I need to be the guy. And so I think it's there, just in terms of like what he like the game plan is so surrounded around him that he knows he needs to do everything. But I think that he is so mentally strong that I don't think that he was out there like constantly feeling pressure and like struggling mentally. I think he just made a bad read uh, on that play in particular. And the rest of the game was just kind of, he was just under pressure, like from the game, not as much mentally, but yeah, I don't know. It's a tough one. It's hard to know. He's not going to say that he was, you know, he's not going to admit like, Oh, like I felt a bunch of pressure and I was like scared the whole game. Like obviously he's never going to say that. Um, and I think he's so programmed the way that he is that he doesn't really think like that. But I think that it was more of a, a factor where the opposing team could really, really hone in on him and the Rams are, are so well coached and seem to always have the Seahawks number that I think it was more of that than anything else. So you brought up <laughs> coaching. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about this a ton, uh, but I think it's worth noting. Yeah. So, you know, the NFC West, we hear, I mean, we've heard this whole season mm-hmm. how competitive it is. Yeah. Do you think, and of course this comes with, you know, recently seeing Pete Carroll, um, you know, extend his contract. Do you think the Seahawks coaching is, I don't know, maybe a little outdated, you know, compared to um, the Rams, the Cardinals and the 49ers? I mean, those three coaches, they're young and, you know, they're, I don't know, their offensive schemes are really i mean they're really fun to watch yeah um just as a football fan i love seeing what those three coaches can draw up Mm -hmm. is pete carroll just a step behind do you think 
Yeah, I do. And, and I think that, like, it's, it's such a stark contrast because he's in the NFC West and he's around, you know, Cliff Kingsbury and Sean McVay and everybody and Kyle Shanahan who are, like, young, kind of much more innovative, analytical-type coaches. I think if he was in a division that had, like, Bruce Arians or, you know, one of the Ryans or something, maybe it wouldn't stand out quite as much. Um, but it's really stark to see him coach against teams that have – that are doing things so much differently. And when you see them, when you see him get outcoached, I mean, he was very clearly outcoached by Sean McVay. I think that he has almost always been outcoached by Sean McVay, even in the games that they win. I think the the Seahawks are a Greg Zerline missed field goal away from having not beat the Rams in three years. So like they, they struggle against this team. Uh, and it's a lot of it has to do with coaching. Uh, their personnel lines up well against Seattle too, but it's mostly coaching. And I think, Pete has obviously had massive amounts of success in his career, college and professional level. Like, there's no debating that he has been a fantastic coach. But he is coaching in an era where things have changed dramatically, and he has been very staunch about not making a lot of those changes. And when you look at their even their Super Bowl winning teams, that team he coached that team well because he had an absolutely elite secondary, one of the greatest second, probably the greatest secondary of all time with the Legion of Boom. And like he credit to him for, for running a system that worked with those guys, but he didn't have that anymore. And they're trying, you know, they, they traded for Jamal Adams. They traded for Quentin Dunbar. They uh, traded for Quandre Diggs, like Shaquille Griffin's good. Like they went out and tried to get those guys, but then they've been hurt or they haven't been as productive as we thought. And they're still like stuck with this four, three defensive scheme that is really outdated, like really, really outdated. And I think what's frustrating, what would frustrate me as a Seahawks fan more than anything else is that I, I could get behind Pete being the head coach still if he had more like analytical forward thinking coordinators and he let them do their jobs. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case. It's the exact opposite. He runs everything and the coordinators are hired effectively to be yes man to him. Like it's very obvious, like when you're around the team, when you watch the decisions that they make, that Pete has his hands in all of that. And that's, that's where I have an issue. If Pete was the head coach and he had a Kingsbury type as his offensive coordinator and like a, a young uh, forward thinking defensive coordinator and he let them kind of do their things a little bit and he just managed, you know, the culture of the team, the press conferences and even like, you know, the fourth down decision, which he's bad at doing. But if you let him do that and you let the coordinators do everything else, I think he'd be fine. But the problem is he hires people who just do what he wants to do. And he's trying to run a defense that uh, was, you know, starting to get outdated in the early 2000s and happened to win them a championship because they drafted three Hall of Famers in the secondary. So, yeah, I'm not thrilled about him being here through 2025 because of that. But I, you know, I, I think he's a fantastic, I think he's been a great coach. He's a great person, but it's the Seahawks are, not, are probably going to keep spinning their wheels if they <laughs> let him keep being the head coach and keep making all those decisions. Mm-hmm. It's really hard because I love Pete Carroll. Right. Um, and I have a friend who's actually a Patriots fan, which doesn't make this any better. Um, <laughs> but he's always constantly like, look, we have Bill Belichick and you guys have Pete Carroll. And I was thinking about it and I was like, wait, Pete Carroll's not a bad coach. You know, no. we talked about the success that he's had. But then after really sitting there and thinking about it, I was like, you know, he might be not the right coach for this team, just considering the division, considering the way that, you know, the game is progressing. Mm -hmm. It makes me nervous considering that extension is extremely, I mean, it's five years and, you know, how much longer do we have for us in his prime? Makes me nervous. (laughs) Um, But we can move on from coaching. Um, The next thing I want to talk about is the Seahawks defense. This is something that comes up quite frequently in my podcast. Um, And it's because I'll never be content with this defense. I think, Um, I guess I can, I'll share some of my thoughts on it and then I want to get your thoughts and how we fix it. Right. So I think after looking at some of the numbers and watching some film, I realized, you know, I think that we are trying to, I guess, make up for the fact that we don't have a pass rush. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, where we get both coverage and pass rush. And so they're clearly trying to generate some kind of pass rush with Jamal yeah. Adams, which would be my next point. But I think that leaves them more exposed. You know, it exaggerates the problem that they're trying to fix at the beginning. Um, and then I want to get into Jamal Adams. I don't know if you saw, um, but he was ranked 57th out of 87, um, mm-hmm. according to PFF's, you know, safety mm-hmm. rankings. Um, and I just wonder if maybe there's an identity crisis on defense because they're trying so hard to justify uh, that trade that they made for Adams. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, play after play, they're sending five. Um, yeah every single play you know at this point it's extremely predictable that that's what they're gonna do and I think overall the NFL has figured out how to defend this like defensive (laughs) scheme well um and they've been able to exploit it well and find all the holes of course and then I mean specifically in that game against the Rams I felt like we were watching them do that over and over again Mm -hmm. you know they were sending five the Rams would find the holes Seattle wasn't able to do anything they weren't able to compete with LA scream game over and over and over again and then you know this whole season we've seen them blitz Adams you know Mm -hmm. technically over 10 times a game which is you know then that leaves him I mean if you look at it as far as pass rushers Adams is not that bad but then when right. you take into consideration everything else, you know, he's not able to do his job when he's, or I guess as well as he could when he's having to do that. So I guess I ask you, do you think that the Seahawks defense is, I guess, trying to justify that trade for Adams, um, ultimately, you know, hurting them? Yeah, I think – I think, I mean, first of all, Jamal Adams is a really good blitzer. Like, I think Mm -hmm. that, like, point blank, when you talk about why he's blitzing a lot, it's because he's really good at it. But the problem is you run this really soft zone coverage with your defensive backs. So, like you said, you you blitz Adams, now you have three defensive backs. Mm -hmm. Instead of having the normal amount, you should have four or five, depending if you're in nickel. They're always in base, so they have four defensive backs. You blitz one, now you have three. Now you have your three defensive backs who aren't, frankly, all that good especially when Shaquille Griffin is hurt. You just you don't have a lot of talent out there because Adams is the best one. And you're playing this soft zone coverage. So any team, especially like, you know, the forward-thinking analytical ones like the Rams and the Bills and everybody, they just know that they just have to get off quick passes. And quick passes are really, really easy to convert when the defense is playing soft zone coverage. And then the exacerbates the problem is that Seattle's defensive backs, the ones who are healthy right now, are not very good open field tacklers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you have your best defensive back rushing the quarterback. Meanwhile, the quarterback gets the ball off in about two seconds because they're not covering the receivers. The receivers get the ball and can beat the defensive backs because they're bad open field tacklers. Right. It's an astoundingly disastrous recipe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very easy to exploit. Like bad coached teams can figure out how to beat this because I don't know if you remember last year the Seahawks played the Falcons and Matt Flynn or no, not Matt Flynn, um, Matt Schaub was the quarterback, and he was like 38 and had been a backup for like four years. And he threw for like 460 yards because he just been this like short yardage offense. And I was like, how is this happening? Like, why are – and like it's been a year and a half since that game, and it's still a problem. Like the Seahawks are still – like I don't think blitzing Adams is inherently a problem, but you need to do it in a way where you also have your guys playing press coverage and like bumping the the receivers at the line and trying to prevent them from getting really easy open passes. You need to do it in situations where the other team is not going to run an easy screen, which I think is, you know, I know we, we, we moved away from coaching, but when you talk about Ken Norton, like their team's ability to recognize when screen coming seems really bad. So they just get absolutely crushed by them because they, they send everybody and then the team just runs a quick, easy screen and, and converts it really easily. So I think that, Adams is really good. The way they're using Adams is okay if they were doing the other stuff correctly. It's not his fault that he has like less than one and a half seconds to take the quarterback down. He also has done a good job of it. I think he's got mm-hmm. he was on pace for like fifteen sacks this year if he'd stayed healthy, which is absurd, but it doesn't do any good if 
you know, like you said, his coverage grades are bad. The rest of his grade is not good because he hasn't really been able to do anything else. And it's just, I mean, it's hampering them that Trey Flowers has to start at corner because he's just not that good. Uh, and guys, you know, the other guys that they played filled in admirably for being like third or fourth stringers, but that they're third or fourth stringers, you know, so they're just not good enough. And when you play them in this defensive scheme that allows easy conversions in front of them, guys like Robert Woods and Cooper Cup are going to beat you. Like that's, that's what they're going to do. And so I think it's a scheme thing more than anything else. Um, the Seahawks absolutely have an identity crisis on defense. There's no doubt about that. I think people forget, and hopefully not the coaching staff, but like we talked about the Legion of Boom. Another part of what made that team really good was your Cliff April and your Michael Bennett's and your Brandon Meebanes and guys who got to the quarterback. The Seahawks don't have anywhere close to the Legion of Boom, and their pass rush is significantly worse. So, you know, Dunlap's not – he's doing fine, but LJ Collier's been disappointing. Rasheem Green's been hurt. Um, they just – they don't have an effective pass rush with or without Adams, and they don't have the secondary to – uh, to do what they need to do to play that press coverage to potentially flush quarterbacks out and maybe bring them down. They just they don't have the personnel for it and they're not running the right scheme with the guys that they do have. Mm-hmm. It's hard because, well, I feel like it's so easy to see that what they're doing right now is not working and they've right. been doing it. And so I just don't understand why they don't change their thing, right? At this point, mm-hmm. I feel like it would be better if they just flooded the zones, played yeah. nine at the back and didn't rush anyone. Um, I also, I don't want to blame the coaching staff, um, because, you know, there's not a strong front four there. The secondary has disappointed or there's, you know, suffered injuries, but at the same time, this whole situation with Jamal Adams, you know, at some point, I really think he needs to play disciplined zone or, you know, deep zone and Seattle's not going to be able to maximize his talent if they're just blitzing him 10 times a game, Mm -hmm. you know, like great, like his pass rush ratings are fantastic, but if everything else isn't clearly something is going wrong. And again, I'm not attacking Jamal Adams. I think he is a great great football player but the way in which he's being used right now i think you know it of course in pro football uh, focus ratings aren't everything but you know things like that they're definitely going to affect his ratings and Mm -hmm. affect his efficiency and all of that good stuff um although i did think it was interesting because pfs has seattle's defense ranked 14th overall um and Mm. i thought that was extremely generous um yeah um, but it's because their rush defense is ranked second. Um, but of mm-hmm. course, the after it's averaged out with everything else, including the pass rush, which yeah. is ranked 29th. Um, I guess it makes it seem like they're not that bad. But as I watch them, they look bad. And I think that's exactly opposite of how I feel about the Rams defense. <laughs> you know, with Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, like they've been able to make that work so well. Um, yeah. And, you know, we mentioned that Jalen Ramsey and DK matchup um, mm-hmm. and it makes me nervous. I think seeing, you know, the Rams defense and if their offense is able to, I guess, pull out a win like this, mm-hmm. then I guess my next question would be, <laughs> who was the best team in the NFC West? <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> It's not the Seahawks right now. Uh, I think talent-wise, when all, all teams are healthy, it's very close. But the way that the Cardinals are coached, the way that their talent is utilized, uh, the talent that they have on both sides of the ball, uh, I think I'm going to give the edge to them. Uh, I think it's pretty close. But really, it's close between all three of these teams uh, the, with the 49ers you know, back in, in fourth place again, although who knows, they could be back as soon as next year. They tend to do that. Um, but right now, I think the Cardinals have the best. Like, Kyler Murray's so talented. They have a great receiving core. Uh, their defense is underrated, but very, very good. I just I think that they're a well-balanced team and that their coaching staff is getting the best out of the players that they have. Um, yeah, I, obviously, the Seahawks beat them and uh, may have a chance to beat them again tomorrow uh, or today for people listening on Thursday. But um, even if the Seahawks beat them again, which would be great, obviously, that would be a huge, huge, huge win for Seattle. Uh, I think Arizona is probably the most talented, well-coached team. The Rams are obviously very good. 
Um, they have a good receiving core. They have an inferior quarterback to both Murray and Wilson. Uh, Goff looked good against the Seahawks because he always looks good against the Seahawks, but he's pretty average otherwise. Uh, and I think that brings them down just a little bit. Uh, and they they have such financial like limitations and no draft picks for the next few years. So they're like all in right now. Uh, and maybe they got a chance. I mean, obviously they looked really good on Sunday, but I think I'd lean Cardinals just in terms of the personnel that they have right now and the way it's being used. Mm -hmm. I think actually last time you were on the podcast, Mm -hmm. this was something we talked about and I'm pretty sure you said Arizona last time too. Well, I I think Cardinals, I think you had Seattle, Arizona, the Rams, and then the 49ers. Yeah, that um, sounds right. So I'm going to props to you for staying that way. Or <laughs> unless you're saying Arizona for sale now. Um, but, um, yeah, I think last time I had said Seattle, the Rams, uh-huh. the Cardinals, and then the 49ers, which yeah. I think would be a much different story um, if they weren't so injured. Right. Um, but I think if I were to answer that question, I would probably say the Rams – the Seahawks, the Cardinals, and then the 49ers. Mm-hmm. It's really hard because I kind of want to put Seattle third. <laughs> yeah, all three of those teams are really close. It's like really, really close. <laughs> really close. And does it make – do you feel like the Seattle-Arizona Thursday night football game is almost a must-win for Seattle? Yeah, kind of. Um, I, I mean, I think that the Seahawks' next games after Arizona uh, – I'm doing this from memory, but I believe that it is – Philadelphia, both New York's, and then Washington. Um, that realistically should be four wins. Um, put it this way, if that's not four wins, then there's going to be some problems. That's going to be an issue. Um, so if the Seahawks lose this one, that's three losses in a row. They're down to six and four. That's really bad. But if they win the next four like they should, then they're ten and four. You figure the Rams and the Cardinals got to play each other, so maybe they beat each other up. The 49ers could steal a win out of that group. So it's is really close to a must-win. I don't know that it's absolutely a must-win, but it forces pretty much the entire rest of the Seahawks' schedule becomes a must-win, and unfortunately for them, that means their second game against the Rams becomes a must-win, and that's going to be really difficult. So I'm not going to say quite that it is, but I will say if they win this game and then they win those next four, we're all of a sudden looking at an 11-3 and Seahawks team, and some of these fears that we feel, while they'll still be legitimate, will be distant memories. People will be not as nearly as concerned about it, even though I don't think that their defense is going to magically get better. Um, but if they get healthy, if they, you know, if Carson comes back and rushes like Chris Carson and they're 11 and three with the momentum, like, you know, they could be in a decent spot, but I, I do think this game is really as close to a must win as you can have in week 10 as there is. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that the Seahawks could be 11 and three, and I promise you, <laughs> well, unless something drastic happens in this defense where all of a sudden they just, you yeah. know, step it up a million notches, um, it will not be a distant memory for me. I think they could be 11 and three, and I will be talking about how bad this defense is. Yeah, wins over the Eagles in Washington and the New York teams yeah, exactly. I don't exactly inspire a ton of confidence. Right. Um, I. I want to say it feels like a must-win game to me just just because the last two games were terrible. Yeah, it would be a, a big bummer just emotionally for the team, I think, to drop three in a row. Right. Um, and But then I also think if it's, you know, a close game and Russell Wilson plays really well but somehow they still lose – well, one, I'm going to be extremely concerned because if the team loses and Russell Wilson plays that well again, I'm yeah. just going to freak out. Yeah. Um, but two, I might feel a little better just knowing like, okay, Russell Wilson's kind of back. And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, I it stresses me out that we have to lean on him like we do. Um, right. But I guess that would bring me a little bit more peace. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Any score predictions? Or right, let's just pick the winner. Do you think Seattle wins? tomorrow slash tonight if it's Thursday (laughs) I do I do think Seattle's gonna win Uh, I think it's gonna be a a super close game Uh, I think one point three points maybe uh, super tight Um, I don't think it'll be as low scoring as the Rams game was because that was weird 23-17 was a really bizarre outcome I think we could see something like 35-32 40-37 something like that um, 
I, I mean, I think the Seahawks obviously uh, need to prove that they can put up 35 points, which they've done pretty much all season long, but then absolutely flubbed against the Rams. Uh, again, Arizona, they put up a lot of points against them last time. They have, they're not as good defensively as the Rams, so that will help a lot, but they're going to be more prepared. Ideally, the Seahawks will be more prepared uh, because they've played them already and, and have more tape on them. But uh, I would, with any Seahawks game, I'm surprised if they're not determined within a score. And this one, I would be surprised if the outcome is more than three points between the two teams. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, quick take and then we'll move on. Who do you think plays a better game Thursday night, Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson? I'm going to say Russ. Uh, I think that they're not going to have the run game, so he's going to throw the ball a lot. Obviously, Murray always throws the ball a lot. They're in a borderline air raid offense. Um, But Russ is just so dang efficient. Uh, Again, I guess it determines on what you consider a better game. Kyler will run more um, than Russ. Uh, He might get a rushing touchdown, whereas Russ likely won't get a rushing touchdown. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the end of the day, I think I'm going to take Russ, obviously, you know, whichever team wins, you could argue their quarterback play better because they won. Right. Um, but I think it's going to be cl- close. I think those guys are both going to have really good games because uh, the, they can exploit the defenses that they're playing pretty well. Yeah. Um, I'm actually not going to make picks for either of those questions because <laughs> I am a firm believer in jinxes. So, but, so we talked about the NFC West. Next, we're going to talk about a team that I am thoroughly convinced um, would win the NFC West if they were in that division. <laughs> um, let's talk about the Dolphins. Yep. Okay. Surprising. Six and three. The Miami Dolphins. Everyone. Six and three. <laughs> um, going to point out that they, of course, absolutely destroyed San Francisco. They beat yep. the Rams. They also beat Arizona, and mm-hmm. they had that very close game against Seattle. So three and one against the NFC West, Um, six and three overall. Miami, did you see this coming at all? (laughs) I I thought that I think they're about a year ahead of schedule. Uh, I would agree. Yeah, a year ahead seems right. The uh, the take with Tua was that he was maybe not going to be the guy right away. Obviously, he didn't start right away, so clearly that was not part of the deal. But he looks really good. Um, he's, you know, he looks like a winner. He finds ways for them to win the games that he plays. Uh, I think that part of it is defense is not being as ready for him. I think there will be a little bit of a fall just because they're with a lot of rookie quarterbacks. You, sometimes it, they have a whole year where they're good, and then you see them fall off pretty intensely in year two. Uh, you know, your Baker Mayfields and more than a year for Lamar Jackson, but you see that a little bit there too. Um, so he'll have to make some adjustments once teams start to adjust a little bit to him. But they got a really good young team. They got a lot of good pieces. Uh, they rebuilt their offensive line, which helped them a lot. I like Austin Jackson a bunch. Their first round pick from USC. Uh, he's he's really good. They have a good receiving core. I think this is a solid team. I think that they're they're outperforming where I thought they would be, without a doubt. A three and one against the NFC West is crazy. Um, and again, they were very close to being four and zero against the NFC West. Uh, and again, that's that's a product of like. NFC West teams don't know a heck of a lot about what's going on in Miami, so I don't think they were quite ready for what happened. Um, so I think there's going to be a bit of a dip, um, but I think that they're going to be good for a while. I think they're going to be decent this year, and I think they're going to be they're going to just keep getting better. And if they put the right pieces together, fill out the roster correctly, they're going to be a, a team that people aren't going to want to play for the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. What's interesting to me is all of a sudden the AFC East is extremely mm-hmm. close. Um, yeah. And it's kind of fun because the Patriots aren't one of the top two teams. Nope. <laughs> um, but uh, so as of right now, Miami has a 50% chance to make the playoffs and a 21% chance to win the AFC East, yeah. um, which could come down to a week 17 matchup against Buffalo Bills. Something I that was interesting as I was really looking into it where – you know, I really felt like Buffalo was just clearly the obviously, like, better team. Clearly mm-hmm. the obviously. Um, <laughs> but and then as I was looking at it, you know, the Bills are 7-3. and three, uh, The Dolphins, 6-3. and three. Uh, But 
looking at their point differential is what really shocked me is that as of right now, you know, the Bills point differential is, you know, plus seven and Miami's is plus 69, which is incredible. (laughs) Um, Do you think that this is, I guess, do you think Miami has a chance to win the AFC East? Yes, I do. Uh, the point different, like that's crazy. I did not know that at all. That is ridiculous. That the Bills are seven and three with a plus seven. Right. Bill. That seems like they should be like a five and five team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, as, like Seahawks, as Seahawks fans, we know that teams can just win a whole bunch of close games in a same in a season because <laughs> Seattle does that all the time. Mm-hmm. And there's something to be said for that. Like, I do think there's an element of skill there. I don't know how, and like advanced analytics don't really paint a picture of that being a thing, but like. There's there's a reason the Seahawks win so many one like one point three point seven point games like there's something about that and I think the Bills have that a little bit obviously they just lost a super close game a few days ago so that kind of that hurts them a little bit but I I think Buffalo is going to win it I think Miami has a chance certainly uh, I think Buffalo I, Josh Allen looks really good right now and they're a well rounded team as we've been kind of saying. Uh, and I, I think t- teams are going to adjust to Tua more than they're going to adjust to Allen. The problem is Allen's really inconsistent. You know, he looked like an MVP candidate for the first couple of weeks, then he fell off, then he looked great against the Seahawks, which is partly because the Seahawks don't cover anybody. Um, but I think I think I'd lean Buffalo. I think Allen's like ready to to be the guy for the rest of the year. I think he's going to be solid. Um, but hey, I mean the the six and three, three and one against the NFC West, two is rolling. Like it's definitely not out of the question for for sure for that team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just gonna throw this out there. So a big debate amongst some of my friends has been whether or not Justin Herbert is better than Joe Burrow. And I now want to mm. throw Tua into that conversation. Yeah. And <laughs> if quarterback wins are a stat, which I don't yeah. actually think they are, <laughs> um, that Tua must be better than Herbert because, of course, uh, Sunday he was able to come out on top. The thing that I find really interesting about Miami is that, you know, it just seems like everything is clicking for them. And, yeah. you know, there was a thing with Tua where it was like, okay, you know, give them a year and then, you know, they'll come back and really by the 2021 season, that's when Miami's going to be ready to contend. But I mean, this defense looks good. The offensive line definitely deserves some credit. You know, Tua is way ahead (laughs) in what it should have been. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as one of my friends said, it must be Brian Flores season because (laughs) (laughs) Miami at six and three. And of course I did that team draft. Um, and I remember having Miami as like one of my last five teams. And so this is, this is shocking to me, you know, six Mm -hmm. and three, I think they'll definitely make the playoffs as a wild card team. Yeah. I mean, knock on wood, sorry to Tua (laughs) and Miami fans if I just jinx that for you, but yeah, that it's crazy to me. Kind of fun. Very fun. Um, so let's move on to a different team. You know, Miami looks like they're on the rise. Now I kind of want to talk about a team that looks like they might be on the downfall, maybe. Yeah. Um, that's Baltimore. And I really just want to talk about, you know, what we think's going wrong with this team right now. You know, we saw such an offensive juggernaut last season between mm-hmm. just their whole offense, you know, with between Lamar and that run game and, you know, their offensive line. It was just crazy. Yeah. And then I guess to now and especially this season specifically where there's no fans and, you know, we've seen offenses really benefiting from that. Um I think I had. Oh, I did. So in last season, the NFL as a whole averaged 22.8 points per game, whereas uh, right now they're averaging 25.3 points per game. And if that were to hold, then they would set a record by a whole two points, which is a lot. Yeah. So what do you think's going on with this offense? You know, in a season where it seems like teams are not having a hard time whatsoever putting points on the board. It seems like a constant struggle for Baltimore every single week. 
what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting one because, like, I think the uh, the assumption right away when you see a, a young quarterback who has a lot of success who then struggles is that he's gotten figured out, and that's what we just talked about with Tua is like a fear of what could happen to him. I kind of alluded to it a little bit with Lamar. And it's definitely partly that, like, clearly that's a factor. It would be silly to not assume that's part of it. But I also think Baltimore's, like, offense is getting in its own way. Like, the, the way that they're running their offense, they're not, like, they're not letting Lamar cook. I'll put it that way because that's when the criticism for the Seahawks for so long was not letting Russell Wilson be Russell Wilson. And Russell, even in his prime, was not the runner that Lamar is. Obviously, Lamar is probably the best running quarterback of all time, not named Michael Vick. And so the, the offense is not set up for him. They, they're not set up to let him throw the ball down the field. They're, they're not going vertical in their offense at all. They do a lot of horizontal, a lot of dink and dunks, a lot of like packing everybody in and, and just doing like, you know, running between the tackles and short passes to tight ends and stuff. And they need to, they need to do more. Like they need to be a bit more creative. I think defenses, no matter how talented the quarterback is, if you're running a bit of a dink and dunk offense and you're not letting him like get out and be free, like Russ just Russ more or less just ignored like the coach, like the plays weren't designed for him to do that. He just figured out how to get around it and like create things on his own. You see Lamar do that every once in a while. I don't think he's quite as good at it and it's not a knock on him. It's the fact that Russ is one of the best improvising quarterbacks ever. Maybe the best improvising quarterback ever. Lamar doesn't have quite that skill set and is not in an offense that's conducive to letting him be himself. And so defenses can plan knowing that they're going to do a lot of the dink and dunk and a lot of the kind of like just like methodically march down the field and they figured out that they can stop them even with Lamar Jackson at the helm and he's doing everything he can to try to break free and make some big plays happen but it's really hard when you when you don't have pre-designed big plays. And so I think this is more about Baltimore's offense. I think a big thing, too, I mean, I mean a massive thing, is that two of their offensive linemen are hurt. Uh, or one of them retired. <laughs> Marshall Yander retired, and then Ronnie Stanley's hurt. And that was such a huge part of their team last year. I mean, the, those that front five was so good. And they could do anything that they needed to do with the running game, with Lamar, obviously, in the running game. He had time to pass the ball. They had all of this stuff set up for him. And now with those two guys gone, Lamar's facing more pressure. The run game's not as efficient. So I'm not 100% blaming the coaches. I don't think that it's exactly that, but I think that not letting him be creative, not letting him throw vertically, and also not having the same offensive line that you had the year past makes it a lot easier for opposing defenses to plan around them, and that's what we've seen so far. Mm -hmm. And I think right now the question we're answering, of course, you brought up was, you know, has the league figured out Lamar Jackson? (laughs) Um, one, I don't think you figure out a quarterback with as much athletic talent as Lamar Jackson. I just, I don't, um, rather I, I do think the league has figured out how to, you know, scheme against that offense just because what you said, it hasn't been creative. You know, they haven't really changed anything from last year to this year. You know, I think their usage of shifts and motion, play action, heavy sets, all of that has stayed exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, rather, I think teams have just figured out how to defend that. You know, they're using lighter personnel and man coverage, and, yep. you know, that's where we are now. I think it's, yep. you know, they need to definitely change that. I think probably where they could start was ditch, like by ditching this whole two tight end thing they have going on <laughs> here. Um, but, I mean, I think this is a coaching thing. I don't think it's a Lamar thing. Um, for all those Lamar haters out there, I don't think it's a Lamar thing. I think no. he's still a great quarterback. Um, I think he's definitely being limited in this offense. And yep. it makes me, if I'm a Baltimore fan, I'm nervous because, you know, currently, you know, Baltimore, they're six and three. They're the seven seed right now. Um, you know, within their division, Pittsburgh is undefeated. And, you know, so I don't see any chance that they win that division at this point. Mm-hmm. I, you know, they're going to be fighting for a wild card spot. And, you know, I did bring up, I did say that I think Miami's for sure going to make the playoffs. I definitely spoke too soon. Considering <laughs> the five, six, seven, eight, and nine seed in the AFC are all six and three. Oh, man. <laughs> so that's going to be a battle for sure. Um, Baltimore. Currently seven, they have the tiebreaker over Cleveland just within their mm-hmm. division. But I mean, you know, Tennessee's right there. I think Tennessee's a really good team. Yeah. 
So I don't, are, would you be concerned if you were a Baltimore fan? Yeah, I would. Uh, I think like Miami is well coached and they're on the rise right now. Tennessee is extraordinarily well coached. They have a really talented team. Uh, and yeah, unless Baltimore makes some changes here, like they're going to play a lot of close games for the rest of the year and close games are toss ups a lot of time at the end. And if they win, you know, in, you know, mathematically toss up games are going to win 50% of them. And so that's a couple more losses and that's all it takes. Shoot, it might only take two or three, two more losses and they're probably out. So. I, I would be worried if I was them. I think they need to make some changes. Uh, the injuries have really hurt them. But this is this is a, an issue where there's a lot of talented teams. There's a lot of really well-coached teams. And if you're not, like, in front of the curve or at least, like, right on it, you're you're falling too far behind. And so, I mean, it's a story familiar to Seahawks fans uh, and anybody who's listened already to this podcast because we talked about it quite a bit. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, at Baltimore – this is going to be a rude awakening for them, and hopefully they'll make some adjustments if they don't end up making the playoffs this year because I want to see Lamar do what Lamar can do, and right now he's not in a system with letting him do that, and it, it could very well cost him a playoff spot. Right, and it's really interesting to me just how the tables have turned, right? Mm-hmm. I think after their Week 3 loss to Kansas City, I was not worried about Baltimore. Yeah. <laughs> um, after their Even after their loss to Pittsburgh in Week 8, I was not worried about Baltimore. And now I'm sitting here and I'm realizing, you know, this coaching staff isn't changing anything. It doesn't seem like I really hope it happens sooner rather than later. They play Tennessee this week, weekend, Mm -hmm. which, you know, could end up being a huge game come um, determining those wildcard teams. So, you know, as we watch them Sunday morning, I think that's definitely something to be looking at is, you know, what do they do with that offense? Do they change it to benefit? You know, you have one of the most talented quarterbacks and mm-hmm. um, I guess to limit him in that offense, is just crazy. You know, yeah. it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and I, it could end up being very costly for this team. I'm now worried that they might not make the playoffs and yeah. – that would be crazy if they don't make the playoffs. I don't know. There's like no other word for me to describe it other than it would yeah. be very shocking if come week 17 or at the end of week 17, I guess, we see mm-hmm. Baltimore not in one of those wild card positions. And I think, too, it, it, there's teams who are so hesitant with quarterbacks like Lamar because he is mistake prone. And he is, he does, I mean, not as much as some of the other, like not as much as like a Jameis Winston type or, or guys like that. But when you let a quarterback dictate so much of your offense, whether they're making decisions on whether they're going to run or pass and all that stuff, you're going to see them make mistakes. I mean, obviously, we just spent a long time talking about the amount of mistakes Russell Wilson made, and he's the best quarterback in the league in terms of dual threat no doubt I mean Mahomes is right there obviously mm-hmm. but like you have to let your quarterback do that you look at a Jameis Winston like okay you don't want a guy who's going to throw 30 picks like Winston did that's absurd and that was I mean that was a, one of the weirdest seasons ever when he had 30 <laughs> touchdowns and 30 interceptions but if you let Lamar Jackson do what Jameis Winston did I guarantee you he throws 30 touchdowns but I also guarantee you he doesn't throw 30 interceptions he throws more than he's throwing right now you know, he probably throws 12, maybe. Uh, and I can understand why that's scary and interceptions suck and all that stuff. But you've got to let him go. And right now, you're just, you're not. And you're being so tentative because you're afraid of those turnovers. And it's like, you're also just costing yourself games. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not every quarterback can be Russell Wilson, who last two games notwithstanding is elite at throwing the ball a lot and not turning it over. He's really, really good at that. And it still happens from time to time. You know, he threw five picks in a game against Green Bay a few years ago. He's turned the ball over a lot in the last two days. It happens. But when you don't let your quarterback do what they're capable of doing, you're there's no way you're benefiting your team. You're only hurting your team. And that's what's happening with Baltimore. They're just hurting their team. And sure, he'll make more mistakes if you let him go. But I think it's, it's well worth that risk, and they're not taking it. Right. Quick comment on Jameis Winston. His interception problem, turnover yeah. thing he has going on there did not stop me from picking him up off the waiver wire in two of my fantasy leagues. There you go. Um, Worth a shot. But, no, you definitely make a good point. Um, I think that's something that you just have to figure out. And it – I don't know. I think Lamar Jackson, by the end of it, is just going to be an even better quarterback. So, <laughs> Speaking of good quarterbacks, I think we can just – and as we end – ish. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about the MVP race a little bit. Yep. Um, 
We talked about Russell Wilson, the issues that he's been having as of late. Um, yes. But before that, those issues were like non-existent. <laughs> so, right. you know, Russell Wilson, very early contender, I think, leading the race by a ton. Um, but then, you know, we have, as those issues started arising, um, <laughs> we've seen these other names come up, other contenders where this MVP race all of a sudden seems pretty close. Um, right. Currently, I would probably say it's got to be like between Mahomes, Russ, and Aaron Rodgers. Do you have a different name in there or like those three? Uh, those are probably the three strongest ones. Uh, I think Russ is third now, unfortunately, because of this last game. Uh, he has every every opportunity to move back into second. Uh, it'll be really hard to overtake Mahomes, barring some kind of late-season meltdown or an injury to him. Uh, other names that I just uh, I'm intrigued by that I don't think are actually going to win it, uh, it's hard to, to ignore Ben Roethlisberger because his team is 9-0. Um, he's statistically behind those guys, um, but that's partly offensive just the, the way that they, Mike Collin and the team run their offense. But when you're the starting quarterback on an undefeated team, you kind of have to be at least in the conversation a little right. bit. Uh, Kyler Murray, maybe. Uh, obviously, if the Seahawks win this one, I think he's probably out unless he has a monstrous game. Um, but he's kind of a name in there, too. But I, I agree with your top three. I think it's Mahomes, a fairly sizable gap, and then somewhere between Rodgers, Wilson, Roethlisberger, and all right in that next tier right there. Mm -hmm. uh, Josh Allen was in the conversation for a while, which is crazy that he was even in the conversation. I think he's probably out of it now. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's kind of your list right there, I think. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think Mahomes is number one. It makes me sad to say. Um, <laughs> I think it will be pretty hard for anyone to – you know, he, I think Mahomes has just kind of gone under the radar this season. Yeah. Um, but – Maybe it's just because we're taking for granted how good he is. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Um, but, you know, I watched some of his highlights, or, of course, if I'm able to watch the full game that he's playing mm -hmm. that week. And some of the throws this man makes are just, they're absolutely beautiful. They're so crazy. Yeah. I just, I don't see any other quarterback in the league, except sometimes they say that about Mahomes. And I'm going to stand up for Russell Wilson here because I do <laughs> think there are certain plays where Mahomes will throw it and they'll be like, no other quarterback in the league can do that. I'm like, I just saw Russell Wilson do that yesterday. Yep. So, yeah, yep. <laughs> sometimes those are exaggerated, but, but Mahomes is, is on another level. Definitely. Sure. He's yeah. I think by the end of his career, it's, he's going to be the greatest quarterback of all time. And I don't think it's going to be disputable. Yes. As long as he stays healthy, I think so too. Yeah. Um, but then I think – I actually think Russ is still second, um, and mm -hmm. then I would put Rodgers. I don't know. Maybe like Mahomes one and then like Wilson and Rodgers 2A, 2B. You could play yeah, yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. you want. Um, so there's that. Hopefully – it makes me sad though because, you know, Russ never receiving an MVP vote. Um, really thought this season was going to be the season and – you know, when the competition is as good as it is, you know, you can't really afford having two bad games back to back where yep. your turnovers are, you know, <laughs> career highs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess we'll see at the end of the season, but yep. um, it could be another season where he doesn't receive a single vote and that would be very sad for him. Yep. <laughs> um, as always, I like to end the podcast with just a for fun question. I try to relate it to whatever's going on in the world. Um, of course, we're recording this on Wednesday night. The NBA draft is currently happening on my television mm -hmm. in front of me. Um, going to set the scenario for you, and then I'm going to ask you the question. All right. Um, feel free to say whoever you want. Um, <laughs> so all NFL players are now basketball players. Uh, maybe mm -hmm. just picture them in college. I don't know, however you want to. Uh, but they're about to be drafted. Which player – okay, current NFL players, I'm also going to yes. make yeah. that clear. Um, which player do you think is most likely to be a number one draft pick? Well, I'm not going to steal the one that you have in your notes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please don't steal that one. No, just kidding. If you yeah, want. Yeah, that, that, is, that is a very good one, though. Um, I will shout out that George Fant played uh, Division One basketball at Western Kentucky. Uh, he didn't play very much. Uh, he played a little bit. Uh, Mo Ali Cox came to mind. Uh, he played, 
I cannot remember where he played college basketball, but he was like more of a basketball player than he was a football player. And now he's a tight end for the Colts. Um, so those guys would be definitely on my list. I think you can just talk about like Uber athletes. It's hard to ignore DK Metcalf. He says he can play uh, basketball. Bobby Wagner disputed that in a recent press conference said like, no way. Like I can't believe he thinks he would beat us. Uh, I wouldn't go against Bobby. I've seen him shoot. He's very talented um, and Lockett, although I would have a hard time imagining five foot nine Tyler Lockett getting drafted first among all the NFL players right. uh, for an NBA draft. Um, so I'll probably, I'll, I'll say Mo Cox because I know he was a talented basketball player uh, when he played uh, in college, wherever it was. <laughs> um, but there's, there's a handful of guys who I think would, would probably be pretty darn good if they were playing in the NBA or at least at the collegiate level. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny, when I first, usually whenever I ask questions like this, the first thing I try to think of is like which Seahawk I think it would be. Um, right. Just because of course I know them the best. Um, and yes, DK, of course, was one of the first ones to come to mind just because of his physique. Um, but yeah. I've seen Tyler Lockett shoot. And if it wasn't for his height, I, he dude, might be number one. Miss. He doesn't miss. <laughs> he really doesn't. Um, but of course, I did have Jimmy Graham. Um, he played basketball yeah. at Miami, started third of the games. You know, they made the NCAA tournament his junior season and they won. The first yep. round. So that's exciting. Good for Jimmy Graham. Former Seahawk. So that kind of yeah. works. <laughs> um, but yes, NBA draft. We talked about it before this. Um, crazy that it's on right now. Crazy that the NBA is going to be able to start in December. I feel like it just finished. No. <laughs> <laughs> I just like haven't had time to take in the off season, I guess. Um, but that is all I have for all of my listeners this week. Through in some NBA content fake NBA content in there for you all. Uh, but thank you so much for joining me, Andy. I look forward to the next time you join me on the pod. Always a pleasure. Appreciate your football knowledge. And then thank you to everyone listening. As always, like, comment, subscribe, share with your friends, your family, whoever you want. Um, and stay tuned for next week's episode, which will be released on Thanksgiving. That's so crazy. Thanksgiving's next week. Um, And then hopefully I won't have to spend so much time dissing the Seahawks defense.